right, well, I've got some text messages right now. Whole slew of text messages right here. Uh, let me see here. Ooh, where do we go? Where do we go? Where do we go? There's some I agree with and some I disagree with. Mm. That's right. Ooh, you'd love to see it. Yes. All right. Uh, the Newcastle solution. Absolute lunacy. This is talking about getting rid of the lockout laws in mm-hmm. Newcastle. But when the spirit of Satan, but where the spirit of Satan is, but then the spirit of Satan is where lunacy came from. Okay, I'll get the oh, right here. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, for the love of money, any anything evil will be done. These laws don't care about people, but it helps them to destroy themselves and society. How many families will be abused because of it? You know, and this is one of the interesting things that I find in relationship to these kinds of laws. We are doing so much in Australia to try and reduce domestic violence. Mm. And now we're selling alcohol to people at 3.30 in the morning. Mm. Like as if that's going to do anything to reduce domestic Seriously? Why do, we, why do we have these conversations about domestic violence when we refuse to have conversations about some of the major factors wow. that are mm-hmm. producing domestic mm-hmm. violence? Agree. Okay, Biden and the Wuhan, Wuhan lab conspiracy, those who knew have been telling us for the last two years. Now, I think that, and this is, this is where I'm going to agree with this, uh, where it says Biden and the Wuhan lab conspiracy, because the reality is that's what it is still, even though they're sort of starting to come out and say, well, this is actually really plausible. The fact is we don't know. Mm. And while we don't know, and I'll tell you why, I'll tell you the reason why we don't know, because you weren't there and I weren't there, and we're going off the testimony of others, yep, which may or may not be true. We don't have, again, we don't have testable evidence. We don't have anything that you could use in court to make a case. Now, there are those who claim that they do, but they haven't used it in court yet. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but then there's like no alibi, and no physical evidence, and. You know, yeah, and there may never be. There may never be. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is: Now that people know the truth about the virus is man-made for to deep top populate the earth, and the same thing is being proven about the vaccines. Okay, I'm, mm. I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump in on this one and say that we don't know the truth. Yep, we don't. And I would also say this. That the conspiracy to depopulate the earth, which has been a very real thing in the past, I do believe, um, you know, there's, well, there's no question among certain sectors of society this has been a thing, is not the thing that it used to be because population of our earth is actually crashing. Mm. And it's suspected that it will flatline in Australia in the next 90 years and Australia will be one of the leading, leading countries in the world where population will continue, one of four countries in the world where population will continue. But if you actually look at uh, population projections, they are currently crashing catastrophically. You have places where, like, for instance, Japan, their population will halve in the next 90 years. Wow. Because people are just not having lots of children. There are lots of people who are not having any children, and there are lots of people only having one. And typically the family these days is two, which means a static population. You know, and that's that that's if every family only has two and, you know, all those children survive to adulthood. Mm. And of course that doesn't happen. As a result of that, I mean you look at our world today, everything is geared around a family of two. Cars, transport, uh Homes, everything mm. is everything is designed around a family of two. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't live in the in, in, in a world that you had, say, for instance, in the nineteen fifties when people were having families of twelve, where you literally just piled everybody into the car and away you went. Mm. 
uh, that's illegal these days. And so, you know, the expenses of having big families, of yeah. So, so this is where I this is where I would challenge some of these um, thoughts. Definitely. Uh, anyway, it says here in a few months we will be having the same discussion about the truth about vaccines. Well, in a few months, let's have that discussion. Well, I guess we'll see. Let's not have it now. Let's have it in a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kellogg Company, nothing worse than a dog going back to its vomit. That is what the Bible calls Christians who turn their backs on God. How sad. Mm. And I think it is tremendously sad. I mean, we've got to have kids that have to walk down the cereal aisle and see this stuff. You know, even if you don't buy it, you just walk through the supermarket and you've got kids who are seeing this stuff and they're being groomed. They're being sexualized. They're two years old and they're being sexualized. I really like that point that you make, um, the point about grooming, because I feel like that's the oversight of of advocates for this kind of stuff. They, they don't understand what like the ultimate outcome of what they're doing is. They're like, oh, yes, we want to give children freedom, but you don't like – like there's a reason why even even in like heteronormative um, societies, there's a reason why it's a taboo subject there, like because it's grooming. Yeah. Like like the, the that's the the big point is that it ultimately leads to grooming and like this yeah bringing up all these topics when children are too young to deal with it and handle it. Yeah, ultimately leads them being more susceptible to becoming, you know, like whether it be by force or by choice like becoming susceptible to like sexual activity at a younger age. So it's, it's terrible. It is. It is absolutely horrific. Um, then we have, as for the virus, not saying it is real, but will the solution compound the problem? Anyway. Mm. Oh, yeah. somebody just else just texted, texted in to say that this is called corporate pedophilia. Okay, that's yeah. that's that's pretty full on. Corporate, yeah, wow, corporate pedophilia. That's heavy stuff. Mm. Hmm. Oh. Can I can can we make a like a class action lawsuit? I think somebody needs to. Yeah, I think the whole population, uh, and, and I'm not sure whether these are being sold in, here in Australia or not. I have to check in the supermarket, but um, they're definitely being sold in the United States. Um, but st- the whole population needs to rise up and say, we need to do something about this. Our children don't need to be sexualized. Our children need to be playing with teddy bears and Legos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not being sexualized on cereal boxes. Because yeah, that's the point. It's like the the opposite of, of this is not to be anti-LGBT. No, I am totally against defamation. I yeah, support, the, like, I support the fight against defamation. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be defaming anyone. Mm-hmm. Regardless of you know anything, mm-hmm. that's not the issue. The issue is that we shouldn't be sexualizing our children. Yes, they don't need this. <laughs> let them be children. Please let our children be children. Ah, mm. oh, dear. Anyway, we need to move on with our Bible study, and I'm so glad that we get to read our to, after talking about all of these heavy subjects that we get to uh, hey, dig into the man, Bible please. and um, and have a Bible study. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we going to go today? Okay, so where are we going? We're going to go Isaiah 53. Praise God. We can go to Isaiah 53, <laughs> one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry. And this is going to be some mind bleach for all of us right now so that we can mm. cleanse our minds from having to spend this time just walking through the gutter of society. Mm. And that's really what it is. It's absolute the gutter. 
mm-hmm. of society when you have you know large corporations that do this and are hailed as being heroes for doing so. Wow. Just wow. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So it was a little bit of an introduction to Isaiah chapter 53. Yesterday we were talking about the sin offering. Yes. And we were talking about with well, one of the aspects of the sin offering was how that you bought your sacrifice and uh, that you would confess your sins over the head of the sacrifice, the lamb, typically, mm-hmm. but not always. A bullock if you were a priest or a king or prince or ruler or something like that. Um, a larger level of responsibility for people who have a larger level of influence. But you would bring your sacrifice, you bring your animal that is pretty much the best of the best that you've got and you confess your sins over the head of that animal and then you would take the life of that animal by cutting its throat, Mm. which would be really, really hard. It would be an absolutely horrific thing to do. You've hand-raised that animal. Uh, You've called that animal by name and now you're cutting its throat and you are watching while that animal bleeds to death and it's dying because of what you did wrong. It's dying because of your sin. And this is what this is what this is what John the Baptist was talking about when he pointed to Jesus when he when he saw Jesus down by the Jordan River and he said behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He was talking to Je- talking about Jesus as a sacrifice which was meaningless. Absolutely meaningless to all of the anyone who was there at that time because they had lost track of what the they had no idea what the sacrifices were about. But the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus is all about Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And so um, when we you know, look at these passages, we find that they're pointing us to Christ. We also noted yesterday how that you would catch the blood in a bowl from the sacrifice and the priest would take it into the holy place of the temple. He would sprinkle on the veil between the holy and the most holy place, on the floor in front of the veil, and on the four horns of the golden altar, the altar of incense that was right there. And there's so much symbolism right there that you can go into because, of course, that blood would make a mess and it would stink. Mm. But when you went into the holy place, you could never smell the stench of that sin because of the altar of incense, Yeah, which had a special mix of incense that burned on it, and it burnt with a white smoke. And what is the symbol of? Righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's. Christ's righteousness covering the stench of our sin. Mm. You know, there's these are, these are just beautiful symbolism all the way through here to teach what Jesus would do for us, and people had completely forgotten about it. Now, some people are going to pull me up on this, and sometimes they do from time to time, who know the sanctuary service really well, and they say, well, it was only on odd occasions that blood was used. So why yeah. use the symbol of blood? And the reason that I use the symbol of blood is very simple. It is called, It is because Paul uses the symbol of blood in the book of Hebrews. Mm. And the blood symbol is the better one of the two different systems for explaining how the system worked. So the other system, of course, when they didn't use the symbol of blood was that a portion of the sacrifice would be eaten by the priest. Mm. And when the priest did that, because the sacrifice was, you know, the sin had transferred from the sinner to the sacrifice, and the sacrifice dies because it has sin on it, when the priest eats a portion of that sacrifice, what is happening is that the priest is taking the sin into himself. Mm. 
symbolically. And the priest also is a symbol of Jesus Christ. And Jesus took our sins into himself when he died on the cross. Mm. And he carries our sins in himself when he went back to heaven uh, into the presence of his Father, into the holy place of the sanctuary in heaven. That's what Jesus did for us. This really actually uh, goes back to our conversation we were having of how many sacrifices could they do a day? And yes. it's like, man, if okay, if it's the blood, then they could you know run it through a little bit quicker. Man, if they're eating it, like if they're cooking it and eating it on the altar, like... Well, whew. the Bible doesn't say that they would cook it on the altar. The Bible just says that they would eat it. Mm. And so that might mean that, you know, the priest just cuts off a sliver, throws it in the pot, mm. and then the pot is, uh, you know, whatever is in the pot come lunchtime is lunch. And so, you know, from that perspective, you could possibly get quite a, get through quite a few. But I think the biggest, the biggest, the most revealing part of the whole sacrificial system was that there was only sacrifices for sins of ignorance. There was not mm. sacrifices for sins when you knew it was wrong. The only way you could get forgiveness for that kind of sin was the same way that you and I get forgiveness for that kind of sin today, and that is through repentance. Repentance, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, God wasn't creating a system where you could, you know, buy sins. Mm. Like, I'm going to do this particular sin, but I can afford it right now. Mm. Um and so it's a very practical system when you actually look at how it functioned in reality. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 53, all of this, what we have been talking about, is now going to help us to understand Isaiah chapter 53 and what it's actually all about. Why don't you start reading for us in verse 4? The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 4, it says, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We Actually, have... Whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop there. Before you go on, before you mm-hmm. go on, from this passage, what was it that held Jesus to the cross? Hmm. It was the sins of the people. Okay, I want you to think about this for a moment. Um, and as a listener this morning, I want you to just, I, I, I really want you to get this thought through your head. And that is this that there was only one thing that held Jesus on the cross, mm. and it was your sin. Mm-hmm. The Roman nails can't hold Jesus on the rock cross, you can't tie him up there. Mm. That's an impossibility. And he, he makes that very point, like to Peter. He's like, man, I could call down 12 legions of angels from heaven. Exactly. Exactly. And he also makes that point when he says, you know, destroy this temple in three days, raise it back up again. Mm. And so when you put that all into perspective and you think of Jesus hanging on the cross and you think of the suffering that he was going through and the pain that he was going through, what was it that was holding him there? It wasn't the Roman nails. Mm. It was your sin that was holding him there. Wow. He had taken your sin on himself. He was carrying it in his body to the cross. He was dying to pay the penalty for your sin because he was the only person who could do that. He was the sinless creator of the law. He was the one who had stated what sin was, defined it. And so 
you know, the penalty of sin is death because that's the only way you get rid of sin. But Jesus is dying for us so that he can legally forgive us for what we have done wrong. Mm. It's, a fant- it's just an absolutely mind-boggling um, illustration of how much God loves for us, how, how much God loves us. You know, it's not just an illustration, but it's, it's, it's Jesus just living it out. This is how much I love you. I will do this for you. And every second of pain, every moment that he hung on the cross, he is not just hanging on to the pain of the cross, but he is hanging on to the horror of your sin mm. on himself. And yet, you know, as, as the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured yes. the cross. Yes. When it, it's very clear at the time, like, oh, I love this. This is just such a, an amazing example of delayed gratification. You know, Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood. And he's like, God, if, if this cup can pass from me, it's huma- his humanity speaking. He's like, if this cup can pass from me, please let it be. Like, this man needs to be hospitalized. Like, with the amount, yes. we, we talked about high functioning anxiety here this morning. We've got a guy sweating blood if we came across that in in any workplace that is grounds for immediate, immediate hospitalization and, and furthermore like support from the company that he works for you know like a full-on rearranging of life like we we can see that clearly but yeah he's sweating blood and he's like god if this cup can pass from me let it be but but your will be done and he realizes like i I've, he I was, hangs in there as the words come out of his mouth he's like this is going to need to happen. And he does it, man. And the reason that he does that is because he can see you as an individual. Mm. Because he can see you. He says, your will be done. Because mm. he sees you as an individual, you as a listener. And he says, uh, you're, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to carry this through because I want to spend eternity with you. Wow. That's why Jesus stayed on the cross. He couldn't bear the thought of not spending eternity with you. Don't disappoint Jesus today. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 53 and let's keep reading and talking about what Jesus has done for us. Where did we get up to? All we like sheep. Yes, uh, we got up to verse 6 where the Bible says, um, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Okay, and continuing on from there, I'm just going to read it from the King James because this is one of those passages that it's just hard hearing it from an yeah, NLT. Okay. It just oh, okay, okay, okay. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. You know, you really wonder here about, you know, what the disciples thought when they read this passage after the event. Mm. Because this is all about what Jesus did when he was crucified. Mm. And yet reading it beforehand, they had no idea. And it's a little bit like you and I with the quiz. We get all these clues coming through and then one of us will get the answer. 
And from that point forward, every clue that comes thereafter is like, oh, that's obvious. Oh, that one's super obvious. Oh, how are they not going to... How is Lawson not figuring it out from there? Okay, okay, okay. Big assumption there. I've, I've beaten you in the quiz yes. a couple times. In fact, before you went away, I was in a bit of a hot streak. But, yeah, yeah I, I totally know he's... Oh, now he's writing the answer. No, I've got, uh, I've got, I've got something coming through here. Let's see if um, it's going to be correct. And let's see. Producer Shell is looking at it. It is not the rich young ruler. Was he an antagonist? You could describe it that way. He was just kind of sad. You could describe it that way. He was the sad, sad antagonist. Yeah. <laughs> no, you could definitely describe it that way. It kind of comes across that way to begin with. Yeah. And then he just gets sad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you read this passage here. This is this is Jesus right here. And, and and this is the sacrificial system. You know, this passage, Isaiah chapter 53, explains Leviticus. Mm. When you understand Isaiah 53, you understand what Jesus is doing in Leviticus. Mm. Uh, verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. And once again, that goes straight back to the lamb, doesn't it? Mm. How violent is a lamb? It not. Not violent at all. And Jesus was like that. He'd done no violence. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Ooh. This is interesting. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Okay, so what does the Bible mean when it says that the Lord bruised him? That's God. Why is why is yeah. why is why is God going after his son? Because like this is how I see it anyway. Jesus receives the penalty for sin. Yes. And and of course the penalty for sin is naturally inflicted inflicted by the effects of sin. Yes. Like pain and death, like death and sorrow, but ultimately God has a plan to ultimately get get rid of sin, yes. which requires, you know, the eradication of sin, the second death, all these different things. And Jesus dying on the cross, like the Bible says explicitly that he suffered the second get death. Yes. So that we don't have to. And it's like, it's God who instigates and inflicts the second death, who, who makes an ultimate rid of sin. Yes. And so, but we see here, it says, it doesn't say that he, he, bru- he, he sorry, he killed him. It says that it bruised him because, because of the power of Christ's righteousness, like, he could be resurrected. It's interesting because somebody just texted through about this, and that is that you know thousands of Jews have come to Jesus and are still coming to Jesus as a result of this chapter. One of the most powerful chapters that there is in the Bible. Mm. Um, I would say the second most powerful after Daniel chapter nine in relationship to identifying the Messiah. Yeah, wow. Well. Mm. I, I find it fascinating right here because someone once said, you know, the, the, the sword of the Father's wrath was unsheathed against the Son on the cross, and I actually agree with that. Mm. Because it was God's wrath against sin, and God's wrath against sin means that sin has to be destroyed. And when somebody is a sinner, that means that they have to be destroyed because you can't destroy sin without destroying the person who is carrying the sin. It's like, you know, a, a, a dangerous virus. You, you know, yeah. that you that you can't destroy without destroying the carrier. Mm. And so, um, when Jesus died on the cross, he suffered the second death. That that is the penalty for sin. He was bruised. He was he was punished, so to speak, by God. Mm. 
by the Father. And this was something that he chose to do. He willingly did it. You know, you've got that great example of Isaac who was willing to be a sacrifice. Mm. And that's what Jesus was for us. Uh, Verse 11, the Bible says, He will see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Wow. You know, Isaiah 53 is just so powerful right here. Um, The Bible says here, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Justification means to be made right. Mm. And we get to be made right with God simply by the fact that Jesus died for us. Mm. Um. And because he bore our iniquities on the cross. All right, read for us verse 12. In verse 12, the Bible says, I will give him the honor of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Yeah, that's um, this. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty um, amazing stuff when you read it mm. right here because it really explains what the sanctuary and what the sin offering and what the sacrifice was actually all about. It pointed to what Jesus would do. It pointed out the fact that he would bear the sin of many. Mm. He would make intercession for transgressors. Mm. That's what Jesus' blood does. You know, when the when the blood is finally on the Day of Atonement sprinkled on the mercy seat, the mercy seat was the lid that was on the box that held the Ten Commandments. That box was called the Ark of the Covenant. And you've got this great picture there of you know the law which has been broken with this mercy seat above it and the glory of God mm. above that and God looking down at the broken law, but before he sees the broken law, he sees the blood of Jesus mm. Christ covering our sins. This is what the book of Leviticus, this is what the sanctuary service is all about. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Yes, Lawson, I have this one for bragging rights, so see if you can figure it out. What's mm-hmm. our question of the day? So our question of the day. Question of the day. Epic stuff. All right, our question of today, of the day today is, who are the Nicolaitans? Okay, this is a really good question. Uh, you'll find the Nicolaitans mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and verse. you'll find it in verse 6 where the Bible says, But this you have, this is, this is Jesus being very proud of his church in Ephesus, uh, one of the good things that they have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. It's interesting, the Bible does not say that they hate the Nicolaitans, but they hate the things that the Nicolaitans do, uh, which he goes on to say, which I also hate. Moving on from there in verse 15, verse 15, speaking to the church in Pergamos, he now says, so, ha- so you also have those which hold to the doctrine of or the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And so Ephesus is commended for hating their actions. Pergamos is criticized for allowing them to live amongst them. And so who are the Nicolaitans? Somebody wants to know, the Bible does not say. And so if we're going to learn about the Nicolaitans, we can only learn about them from more secular history or, I guess, uh, religious history. So from historical sources, 
Basically, what we come down to is that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, following the teachings of one Nicholas, were people who taught that the law of God had been done away with. Now, this is actually surprisingly common in Christianity today, where you find people who say, you know, the Ten Commandments, the law of God has been done away with, it's been nailed to the cross, we don't worry about the law of God anymore, and that, of course, has resulted in the dilution of Christianity. Uh, How can you do that? That's a bit of an impossibility because it is the law, the Bible says, that defines what sin is. How can you do that and even keep the New Testament? I mean, the law of God is mentioned more times in the New Testament than it is in the Old. And so, you know, just read the book of Romans. I mean, does the Bible say that the the law has been done away with in the book of Romans? You know, let's go over to Romans chapter 3 very quickly and let's see what it is. uh, what what it says over here in Romans 3. Where did Romans go in my Bible? Here it is. Last verse. It specifically addresses this particular issue. It says, Do we then make void or do away with the law through faith? God forbid. Instead, we establish the law. This is a very, very plain statement right here. In chapter 4 and verse 15, the Bible says, this is because where where there is no law, there is no transgression. If Jesus had been able to do away with the law, he could have done away with sin and he would never have had to die on Calvary. He died on Calvary because it was impossible to do away with the law. The law defines what sin is. With no law, there is no such thing as sin. Then he says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I would not have not have known sin what no would not have known what sin was, but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And then in verse twelve he says, Wherefore, or in other words, because of this, the law is holy and just and good. The Nicolaitans were teaching the law had been done away with, they were in opposition to the Bible. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.